Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Supermarcado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. We say this a lot on the show, but I think it's not hyperbole to say that this episode is long overdue, (laughs) and I imagine highly anticipated by many of our listeners. Today we're going to tackle the incredibly nostalgic, incredibly iconic, and very seminal Super Nintendo RPG soundtrack to The Secret of Mana. Yeah, I think this does take the cake as far as <laughs> spotlights that we have overlooked, long overdue. We're very excited to finally get into this. It's hard to say what took us so long. I mean, I think sometimes when a soundtrack is so beloved and, and such a heavy hit, or sometimes you overlook it for other, you know, smaller, more obscure things. So that could have been the case. But regardless, we're very excited to, to talk about this wonderful score today. Uh, it was composed by Hiroki Kikuda who is a very unique video game composer that worked for Square. And actually, at the end of this episode, we're going to play a few tracks from the sequel to this game, which was just released for the Super Famicom, which is Seiken Densetsu 3. Um, But yeah, most of this episode is going to be talking about Secret of Mana. And this game came out two years before Chrono Trigger. Obviously, it was developed by Square, just like Chrono Trigger was, but I think it was uh, a different team of people that, that worked on this game. And what I'm excited to talk about today with this music is Kikuda has such a unique and imaginative style of composition. He really lets his imagination run wild, and I think that was a huge part of what drew people into this game. You know, so many kids around the world that played this game, it got their imagination going. So it, it feels to me like like Kakuta's imagination is just contagious. I think that's a really interesting point. Something that I think about a lot um, when it comes to sort of the Super Nintendo 16-bit uh, RPG era, I guess if you want to call it, is that to kids who were growing up with video games, this sort of marked, you know, another notch in uh increasing their intelligence their ability to read and comprehend and their patience in dealing with storytelling right when you think of um not that there weren't rpgs in the 8-bit era but i think the super nintendo is almost the first home console that i think of when i think of you know fantastic rpgs and it's interesting how as games developed and became more technically sophisticated Uh, developers, artists, composers became much more ambitious in trying to create stories that could be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think for kids that grew up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, by the time the Super Nintendo came along, I mean, I'm sure for those who played something like Link to the Past and Chrono Trigger and, you know, Final Fantasy 3, at least in the US, and Secret of Mana, um, just to name a few, I, I imagine those were some experiences for certain kids where some of the most reading that they'd ever done or some of the most immersive kind of storytelling experiences they'd ever really been a part of. Absolutely. And and I really feel like Secret of Mana was a turning point for Square because this was actually a sequel to Final Fantasy Adventure uh, for the Game Boy. And, and this game was the first game that was marketed as part of what, what is now this Mana series. So it's a, it's a very pivotal game in many ways ahead of its time. And definitely Kakuta's soundtrack fits the bill. Uh, okay, let's get into it. So what you guys heard playing in was a track called Give Love Its Rightful Time. 
featuring those iconic drum samples of Secret of Mana. All right, let's get into the main theme, the opening theme of this game. It's called Angel's Fear. It's so iconic. It's just an absolute 16-bit classic. I adore this piece of music. Excited to talk about this. This is Angel's Fear from Secret of Mana. You guys just listened to Angel's Fear from Secret of Mana, composed by Hiroki Kikuda. It's really one of the best themes on the Super Nintendo. It's it's every bit as good as some of the themes you hear in the Final Fantasy series or something like Chrono Trigger. It's just iconic. And again, it has that classic Dorian mode, which really helps to convey a sense of heroism and timelessness. There is kind of this high fantasy theme that this game has, so right. it totally fits that. Um, and one of the things I did for a few of these tracks is I was so curious to kind of dissect them that I actually figured them out on the piano. And so this track is really interesting because it starts in A Dorian, it goes between A minor to D major, but then right away he moves to B flat major, so he kind of modulates to this key of F major. And so one thing that I noticed about this entire soundtrack is that he he's always modulating and he's always moving with these planing chords back and forth to give this a kind of sense of uh, endless wandering and mystery. Right. And there's this sense where it never is really settling and it's always moving but in a really pleasing way because after he moves to F major he goes F to C but then quickly he goes E flat to G uh, which you could consider it is like uh, maybe like a flat six to a one to a new one right or just some sort of third relation idea right but then he immediately loops back to a minor and so there's this there's this sense of as soon as you're getting comfortable with uh, you know this repeated progression he'll change it on a dime but it's never to the point of like distraction like this track feels so natural and then uh, you know not to mention that that one part uh, when it really changes up the triplets 
are, are uh, played on the high piano over that C major, and it's using this beautiful pentatonic scale. And then it moves into this sequence of chords that kind of have this pedal bass. So you have like a right. F over G to G major, but then you have an A minor to D over A. And right. so he's always establishing these these new techniques, but exploring them in really creative ways. Well, that part that you just mentioned, it almost has this uh, quasi, you know, religioso, almost ascension feeling, like oh, rising yes. into sort of heavenly light. It's and so the beautiful. Interesting, I, uh, the technique is called hemiola. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, when you have a musical idea that's functioning in one type of meter so say something that you hear in three for instance but it's happening in an overall bar of four yes. so you have this constant recontextualization do, do, of do, the do, rhythm do, 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 yeah, yeah and that's what so that great. Um, piano idea is doing it's really cool and to sort of accentuate that idea in terms of how uh, Kikuda presents it it's shifting kind of being panned back and forth from left and right I think that's it's an true. incredibly immersive feeling I want to talk a little bit on um, what you mentioned Carl about the harmony about how wandering and aimless at times it is. What I think is really interesting about harmony and particularly modern harmony is that not to say that you could substitute any chord for any other chord, but Mm -hmm. when you really get down to it, harmony is all about voice leading. It's all about moving from one moment to another and how you get there is kind of each composer's own decision. And there are so many different ways to approach a chord and emotionally you get many different outcomes. And Mm -hmm. I think in in the classical period, there was a very prescribed approach, almost like if you're going from point A to point B, you only have these certain options. And as we've, whether you consider it um, advancement or just kind of expansion, we've really broadened the possibilities. And what I think is interesting about what Kakuda does on this soundtrack is a lot of the techniques he's using are things that we've heard in other video games before, but not necessarily put together in this exact way, which gives this score a very unique feel, I think. Yeah, and definitely not put together uh, in by the time of 1993 when this was released. I, I just feel like this is one of those scores that so many composers were endlessly inspired by. Another thing that you have to mention on a track like this is the bass writing is so expressive, very jazzy, and there's this free sense of bass playing. Um, and that's something that's so wonderful is the compositions are, as we mentioned, already very exploratory and creative, but the the, the use of like bass and drums and kind of the rhythm section is very groovy and at, at many times very jazzy and funky. And I just think it's a really cool sound that Kakuda established here. The, the last thing I wanted to mention is how, how this track ends. There's definitely a, a sense of jazziness throughout the whole thing, but it peaks at the very end because right. you go from a C major seven to a B flat major seven. Um, and that's kind of the the first, really the first time in the piece when he's really uh, accentuating those those major seventh chords. You don't really get it any other point in in the piece, and then it ends on an A minor nine chord. Uh, so yeah, it's it's that great combination. Uh, there's a, there's a little bit of classical influence on this track, but it's a lot more modern and jazzy, and that's something we we love uh, we love about uh, Japanese video game composers. So I totally agree. Wow, that's a great theme. All right, let's move on. This is, I think, another piece of music that's played uh, at the very beginning of the game. It's called Tell a Strange Tale. Let's take a listen. (laughs) 
You guys are listening to Tell a Strange Tale, composed by Hiroki Kakuda from Secret of Mana. So, Will, what are your thoughts about this track in context of what we what we heard with Angel's Fear? Uh, it's very different, obviously, but I don't know. What is it about these JRPG scores? They always have so much, um, like, flute in them. There's just something so humble about the, the quality of, of, of a solo flute. Well, I think we've talked before about the kind of medieval connotations that are often associated with high fantasy, and mm-hmm. I think some of our best you know 8-bit 16-bit composers are definitely playing into that idea yeah and that sort of aesthetic this piece is very singular and different from uh (laughs) other pieces that i've heard just because in ways under the hood it's very experimental um particularly the harmony writing um and and it's not always something i'm a fan of honestly but it's it's very Mm. meticulously not just parallel harmony you know it's not just um something in thirds or sixths and it's interesting because it's the kind of idea that i would tend to imagine would be done in a more kind of plaintive pastoral simple you know diatonic approach right but here there there are these moments of almost like just for a moment there's like quartal harmony where we have this chord that isn't even a triad it's some kind of bizarre jazzy chord based on fourths and then it goes back to being this pleasing major thing sure there are elements of it that to me like when i when i first heard this years ago i maybe didn't give it um the time of day because it just Mm -hmm. sounded to me as like a piece that i wasn't crazy about um but i think where you when you try to analyze it under the lens of something experimental it becomes much more interesting but i think to me it's just a little bit less effective than say angel's fear because it's not a consistent aesthetic because part of it is trying to be this plucky fun upbeat thing but Mm -hmm. then at the same time it has these kind of really out there almost avant-garde musical approaches happening man that's that's a really good point will and i will say that there is that continuity throughout the whole soundtrack it's very experimental and kakuda goes in places that you really don't hear any other video game composer go to and sometimes it's not always going to be the most pleasing um very very bold choices i really appreciate what you said about for you that juxtaposition here I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't always feel pleasing, but or at the very least, I you know I'd be really curious to hear this with an actual orchestra. Part of yeah. it is it's it's so unlike other 16-bit video game music that I'm used to, but at the same time, it's using the sounds that I'm familiar with. So the kind of I don't know. The, it kind of is mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I want to say overall about uh, Kakuta's style on this soundtrack, a lot of planing chords, a lot of repetitious chords moving back and forth. There's overall, there's there's this sense of wandering or perpetual motion where things are were rarely settled or resolved. And he actually avoids a lot of traditional cadences overall on this on this soundtrack. And so it seems like he he prefers this sense of surprise and perpetual motion uh, to to more traditional cadences. But yeah. It's super, super creative. And uh, we should mention a little bit that some of you may be aware there was recently an HD remake um, released and the soundtrack and the and the game kind of kind of weird didn't didn't get the best reception. And I'm not really a big fan of what they did with the soundtrack. There's a couple of interesting um pieces of music but yeah overall i think most people definitely prefer this original version all right let's move on to something very beautiful this is kind memories
You guys are listening to Kind Memories. Beautiful melody composed by Hiroki Kakuda. It's another great example of his unique compositional style. It really feels like when Kakuda is composing a piece of music, he has like twice the chords in his in his tool belt that anyone else would have. Nothing is off limits for him. <laughs> um, and yeah, his sense of imagination is, uh, is, is really inspiring. This is Again, very unique. This does not remind me of a lot of other video game music. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm kind of reminded just compositionally um, to something that I learned when I was um, taking music history, which is mm-hmm. something about one of my favorite composers, the French Impressionist composer Debussy. You know, he's known for uh, the piece Claire de Lune. Oh, yeah. Um, also, you know, orchestral works like Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. But what Debussy's music did was quite revolutionary for the time in the world of classical music. And I remember reading a transcript uh, where one of his students was like asking him a question about his music. And mm-hmm. he actually described his process for composing. And now, to I think our modern ideas, it sounds so common. Like this is how you'd imagine most composers writing. But it was so unlike the classical school of thought at the time. And what Debussy described is he says, well, what I do. I sit at the piano and I play something until I think it sounds good mm-hmm. and then that's what I write. <laughs> I, it sounds so obvious, but there was so much theory and logic behind what a lot of other classical composers were doing. And Debussy almost hated that. He hated yeah. being able to kind of predict what was going to happen and this idea that there was almost like this working mechanism of harmony. For him, harmony was something purely a, a mood-based thing. And yeah, I think Hiroki Kakuda, I imagine he's writing in a similar way where, you know, he's at this, you know, minor nine chord. And then what's he going to do? Oh, well, why don't I go up here? That sounds nice and with Debussy the linkage between his harmonies was always about common tones so he could go from any two chords whether they functioned in the same key but as long Mm -hmm. as they had some sort of common tone or the voice leading was smooth enough it really is like jazz harmony in a way well it feels like Kikuda is almost just more (laughs) open-minded as a composer and as a a listener than than most other people because yeah the, the chords that he chooses to him he probably thought, oh, yeah, this this works. This sounds good. But other composers would have been like, I don't know. That's a little bit too jarring or experimental. But yeah, Kakuda, again, it's just his sense of imagination is just really inspiring. All right, we're going to move on to a classic. Um, this is kind of the sound that when I picture Secret of Mana, this, this comes to mind right away. I really like this track. This is Into the Thick of It.
You guys are listening to Into the Thick of It from Secret of Mana. And again, it's just um, it's a, kind of a singular sound here. It does remind me of things outside of video game music, for sure. And I know Will has some, some thoughts on that. But as far as video games, especially at the time, uh, this was just a, really a breath of fresh air. I, I'm looking forward to later on the episode to talk a little bit more about the sequencing and his choice of samples and how he implements it on the Super Nintendo because the sound of this uh, score is is really one of the, the gold standards on the Super Nintendo. The drum samples and the bass and all the flutes, like everything just sounds really, really good. So, Will, what are some of your thoughts about some of the compositional influences of a track like this gosh i really adore this piece it's very advanced um and kind of again experimental but i really just i love all the choices that are happening here i love Mm -hmm. the instrumentation that it's kind of this harpsichord (laughs) (laughs) doing these weird kind of ambiguously harmonized uh, ostinati um, but then the flute harmonies on top of it, honestly, what it really reminds me of is minimalism. It reminds me of yeah. composers like Philip Glass or even John Adams. 20th I century was actually music, reminded yeah. of there's this Canadian composer named Stephen Chapman. I've done some mm. of his choral pieces in the past, um, okay. but he's a composer who also sort of writes in that you know, quasi minimalist style where there's a lot of repeating figures mm-hmm. um, and everything is what we'd call pan tonal or pan diatonic, where yeah. there are these dissonances that are created, um, but not necessarily in a chromatic sense, but then it's constantly modulating and it's v- it, this very kind of vacuous sound and it's very moodful. It almost sounds like tone painting or something. I mean, you but nailed it, man. That's, that's exactly what this I is. I love the vibe that's created by this track, you know? It, yeah. It's so cool it's really really cool okay and that's what's a little bit unfortunate is i feel like this almost out of anything on the snes would lend itself so well to like a live orchestra and um yeah it didn't really feel like we got that (laughs) with with the remake but um you know Maybe there'll be some project in the future. And oh, one last thing I want to say that I love that it's such a it's almost like infusing like progressive jazz or something. Yeah, it's proggy. And the the intervals, it's like it's sort of pentatonic, but it also has this modal quality. Just the intervals that are happening, it's very specific. I yeah, this is almost like the prototypical Secret of Mana track. It really is. It's so good. And and I should say that I have no idea what I'm what we should do for track of the week, honestly. It's it's really hard for me to decide. That would be a contender for me. So let's just see maybe what we feel like at the end. Uh, let's move on to a very unique piece of music in this game. It's The Color of the Summer Sky, which to me is uh, makes me very nostalgic because we featured this way back in season 1 on our summer music episode. Uh, So I definitely have some good memories uh, listening to this track. And it just really reminds me of old like Americana music kind of, you know, down home on the range kind (laughs) of a feel. Um, It's it's just, it's very simple and a lot more uh, happy than than a lot of the pieces on on the soundtrack. Let's take a listen to The Color of the Summer Sky.
You guys are listening to The Color of the Summer Sky. And this this is <laughs> this is a great example of kind of what I'm talking about with Kakuda's unique style. Even when he's doing something like this, which is very intended to be very simple and pleasing and this humble, familiar quality to it, it's it's Kakuda's take on that. So it's <laughs> it's still a little bit more experimental than almost any other composer would have done at at the time in video games and um and, and that's kind of what separates this this score apart from from a lot of his peers is because you can just one thing I will say about Kakuda's music is you can really tell that it's him and it's not really anybody else. Uh, it's it's very very singular. Yeah, I, I I like it. It the chord progression is one that we've heard in video games a lot. My favorite part is the yeah da 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 yeah, da, 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 yeah that's da, super da. unique. I think mm-hmm. that's a great melody. There are a couple points where the harmony gets a little strange. Yeah, you know, and it starts exactly. moving in fourths instead of thirds. But melodically, that part actually reminds me of like Koji Kondo. It sounds like something <laughs> that you'd get in like Yoshi's Island, just because it's so for the most part based around these thirds and it's really pleasing you know one and four it almost kind of sounds like african folk music or something yeah isn't that interesting i love that sound almost like the way a composer harmonizes his music is one of the ways that you can really tell uh his or her unique style um because a lot of times you know take that melody yeah it it feels like something that could have been composed by a lot of different people but the way that kakuda chooses to harmonize it uh, is definitely his own his own thing right um all right this this is cool. Now we're going to get into a track that perfectly encapsulates some of the things we've been talking about, the sense of mystery and, and wandering motion. This is The Holy Intruder. And I'm excited to play tracks like this that, that have um, more of a heavy drum emphasis. The drum writing on this score is really, really good. It's very expressive and kind of proggy and, and just great. So let's take a listen to The Holy Intruder. You guys listening to The Holy Intruder, which is just so ahead of its time. It's very modern. This drum beat is just off the chain. It's it's really cool. Um, this you is get the, the origin of the when... trap hi-hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get the sense that when you start this track that, oh, what meter is this in? And I don't really know where I am. I can't really get my bearings. But you could consider this whole thing in 4-4. Four, four. It's just right. a lot of this over-the-bar drum beat. Uh, it, it's, right. oh my gosh. Th- this, this track is crazy well and everything is happening at the same time like typically with syncopations like that the drums and bass will kind of maintain your sense of groove so you know where the downbeat is right uh but in this track it's like when the melody moves the bass and drums move with it so it's like until you get to um that point where more of the drum parts come in yeah you start to get a sense of like the overall beat and that's um, that's brief <laughs> but yeah so yeah. you combine that so rhythmically the sense of 
unsettled wandering you combine that with these planing harmonies and you you get this the kind of the secret of mana sound honestly it's very experimental doesn't sound like anything else you've ever heard in a video game especially in 1993 uh it's yeah it's wild stuff i mean this still sounds very fresh and bold i mean even if i you know had listened to the soundtrack for the first time in 2018 i think I would be just as impressed. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I, I kind of couldn't believe this one because it almost sounds <laughs> like, yeah, that drum part just sounds so modern. It sounds like EDM music or something. All right, let's now move on to, uh, I believe, a Desert World theme. This is Secret of the Arid Sands. Let's take a listen. You guys are listening to Secret of the Arid Sands, composed by Hiroki Kakuda. What a unique composer. And uh, yeah, Kakuda's not afraid to challenge the listener and to, to not give them what they're expecting or really maybe sometimes w- what they want. Uh, there's a lot of tension uh, and, and again, a sense of wandering and, and not really resolving anything in this track. Uh, and it, it's perfect background music. Uh, yeah, it just, it really has its own emotion Dude, to it. it sounds like, uh, honestly, it sounds like something by like a Berkeley grad student, you know, composition recital or something. Right. <laughs> you know, it's really out there and experimental and there's all this stuff Gnarly. with interesting meters and very eclectic instrumentation. You were noticing the, and... the, the, the loud overtones that yeah, that so ostinato has. <laughs> that plucky, I don't know if it's like a kalimba, kind of a kalimba or yeah. whatever it is. Like the overtones are louder than the fundamental and they're really dissonant that's something <laughs> yeah, that happens honestly a lot with super nintendo music since the samples are being pitched up and down there can be this kind of unnatural sound created honestly by the though in my opinion a track like this it works better than almost any other time on the super nintendo because there's already so much dissonance that's intentional in this score right. so when you add that it kind of doesn't really get in the way as much as it would you know if, if you're listening to uh, a score that's a lot more traditionally composed with traditional harmonies it would stand out maybe worse so uh so yeah that's it's kind of one of the advantages well, I, mean, I even remember like the opening to yoshi's island that dun 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 there's this weird overtone that's like a perfect fourth above right or like an octave and a fourth it's very yeah. strange because it's not a naturally occurring i mean typically in the overtone series it would be like an octave and a fifth so it's very bizarre there's some weird overtone that's being accentuated it might just be the timbre of that kalimba but when it's pitched up and down sort of digitally in the super nintendo it has this strange effect as though it's being like harmonized or almost like i remember you had some issues with that when you were working with those samples yeah i was having that a lot with the kind of for hello um, world yeah with with the sort of music box 
sound um, mm-hmm. for like the opening track, and I was having to like EQ each specific note to like remove that overtone. It's very bizarre. Let's move on to what the forest taught me, and this is another great example of how Kakuda takes. I think a very sweet and simple melody, but eventually he chooses to harmonize it in a very interesting way. Let's take a listen to What the Forest Taught Me. You guys are listening to What the Forest Taught Me. This is from Secret of Mana. And what I find interesting about the sound of (laughs) this track is how similar it sounds to something like Zelda Ocarina of Time, which came out on a different platform five years later. Um, But yeah, the the quality of these samples, I think, really hold up well. This is such a unique piece of music. Um, Part of it is very sweet and, and just feels very pleasing. But then there's these dissonances and there's these, again, these avant-garde harmonies that really surprise you. And I really do think that one of Kikuda's main goals, and it could have been not just his goals, but some of the other designers of the game, uh, was to surprise the listener and to take you places that you're not expecting. There's elements of this that, and we've talked about some of those concert 20th century influences, but um, because there's so much overlap with that... uh, it also reminds me of certain um, pieces of film music. Like this reminds me mm-hmm. of almost like a James Horner kind of cue. No, oh, I could hear that because yeah. he also has a lot of you know minimalist influences. Um, but mm-hmm. just sort of the, well, and I think an overlooked aspect of minimalism, um, just because of its name, people talk about how basic it is. And I mean, I think. Yeah. Um, it's basic because there's a lot of repeating phrases and it's a lot of, um, it's almost like, you know, the classical version of techno music or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think it's also, it's minimal and quote unquote basic relative to the kind of hyper emotional period of concert music that happened just before it, which was all about chromaticism and dissonance. But when Mm -hmm. you actually examine a lot of the harmonic implications of minimalist music, it's very unique. It doesn't sound like other classical music there's a lot of these kind of interesting harmonies based around fourths or these kind of suspended chords that don't get resolved well yeah it almost sounds like a different culture that you're not familiar with or that you're being thrust into a new world and that's why i think it's so perfect choice for a game like secret of mana is because it feels like this is the sound of this world of this game and it doesn't really sound like our world you know all that much so so i think it's a it's a really great choice all right i'm excited to move on to this track it's actually one of my favorites on the score it's called a wish and i believe this is the theme to the ice country let's take a listen
Beautiful. You guys are listening to A Wish from Secret of Mana. And this is another piece that I was very moved by and I figured it out on the piano. And very interesting uh, when you dissect the, the chord movement here. So again, lots of repetition, uh, establishing like a two chord pattern, but then he always moves to a modulation uh, as soon as you get comfortable with it. So it starts out with A minor seven to F major seven, which feels very pleasing and beautiful. But then he moves to a G sus to an F major seven. Uh, then he kind of goes back and forth pretty quickly between F and G, kind of that whole step movement. Right. And then the next section moves between an F major 7 to an E minor 7. So that's when you start to feel a little bit more jazzy, a little bit more maybe modern. Uh, and then he continues that uh, that seventh chord movement down to a D minor 7, resolving, or at least what you think is resolving, on a C major 7. But then he keeps that movement going and actually resolves on a B flat major 7. Right. Uh, and and finally, the way that that gets back to that A minor 7, which which starts the loop again, um, is, is very surprising. And, and this is an example of when it loops, you kind of don't even realize it's looping because it feels perpetual and constant it just feels like another modulation you know in the context of this whole progression and and yeah that's that's i think really effective is is when you take maybe a 40 50 second loop like like what this is it kind of extends its lifespan at least times two because you really don't realize it's looping until maybe two full repetitions of of this it's very effective i totally agree man all these talk about sevenths and numbers and Lots Gosh. of seventh chords, yeah. I know it can be a little confusing. You just gotta feel it, man. Yeah, if anyone is confused, all a seventh chord is, is you take a basic triad, which are chords that we hear all the time that we're very familiar with, and you just extend it. You add one note on top of it, typically. And what it does is it adds a different quality of emotion. So if we're going from uh, more of a basic happy or sad emotion with a triad, a seventh can make something a little bit more mysterious. It's kind of more of a subtle emotion um, that that's added. And yeah, it just this progression is so wandering. But again, it's it's never settled. As soon as you get used to something, then he throws in a uh, modulation. All right. Very cool. Uh, let's move on to The Orphan of Storm. Here we go.
You guys are listening to The Orphan of Storm. Kikuda is a zany composer that really beats to his own drummer. Um, you think? Yeah, this, this track is so unique. Those tubular bells, uh, they made they made me laugh, and I think they made both of us laugh. Just very surprising. He kind of uh, leans into dissonance in the score in a very unique way. I'll say, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. There are times when I really like it, and there's times mm-hmm. where I'm a little perplexed. Yeah, but me I gotta too. Say, yeah, I, I agree with what you said. He definitely beats to his own drummer, and you have to admire the kind of audacious choices that he's making yeah. in a medium that I think, especially at the time, was really not considered a place for artistic experimentation, especially right. in the field of music. I mean, games still struggle to be viewed as an art form in and of themselves. And mm-hmm. I think whether you like this or not, you have to admit there's art happening here. You know, there's oh, kind yeah. of all the good and bad and messiness that comes with that term. You know, there's creativity and experimentation. And Well, I think the biggest daring. thing you can say is, yeah, it's just daring, making bold choices, taking really big risks. And when you do that as an artist, it does not always work. And, and I will say that if you, if you listen to this whole score, there are plenty of examples of where I personally think it doesn't work. Right. But there are also maybe just as many examples of where it is really powerful and, um, and effective. And so I think I have to take my hat off to Kakuta because he's taking so many risks. And I think listening to this score and experiencing it is a roller coaster ride. You're going to have highs and lows and you're going to be surprised and you're going to gasp at the music. And I, I just think that's, that's a treat. So let's, let's keep going. We're now going to move on to a very beautiful piece of music. One that really stopped me in my tracks. Again, I, I think it encapsulates the sound of Secret of Mana. It's very beautiful. Let's take a listen to Eight Ringing Bells. You guys are listening to Eight Ringing Bells. This is actually one of my favorites um, that I discovered very recently. I think preparing for this episode was the first time I actually ever heard this track. It's a shame because it's really good. He loves the key of A minor. (laughs) This is another track that starts with that. 
And the chord that he starts with is really interesting. It's this A minor, I guess like a, it's like a sus two because you're hearing this B natural instead of the C. And that movement from the B to C is is what draws your ear in at the beginning. And he does that same technique a, a whole step down because he does a G sus to a G. So then you're hearing that A to B being emphasized. And, and that's just super interesting. When the full band comes in, it's a really great moment because you have this jazzy chord progression at that point, which is a chord progression he's used multiple times in the score. It's an F major seven to E minor seven, very jazzy and wandering, but the bass really helps to outline that seventh quality, many times even holding, sustaining on the seventh. Right. Um, so again, it, it's just really free and it kind of feels like I imagine this 16 bit bass player just like <laughs> grooving out to this. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then it ends with an F major 7, which transitions pretty nicely back to that A sauce. But my favorite moment, I, I could just imagine like a, a sort of experimental band, like a rock group jamming out to Isn't that great? It's so, yeah, it's really funky. Uh, it's like almost like a, it reminds me a lot of a lot. A lot of the score reminds me of, of world music. Sure. It just feels like you're you're tapping into some, some, some other cultures, many different cultures, there's definitely a sense of jazz with some of the the chord progressions and especially the bass writing, um, but yeah, he go, he goes beyond that and it really truly is a fusion of of so many different traditions. So all right, let's move on. What do we have next on the playlist here? Um, I don't know about you. Well, I'm having a really good time today. How how are you doing? Yeah, same here, man. This is a really unique piece of music. It's called Prophecy. Uh, very expressive, very experimental. Let's take a listen. You guys are listening to Prophecy from Secret of Mana, composed by Hiroki Kakuda. And I do want to make one disclaimer. Um, this soundtrack is, is, is quite large, and we definitely do not have time to play everything today. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's like a 40 or 50 track score, and so we had to make some choices and cut some things. Um, and... We just tried to play the tracks that maybe excited us the most and, and uh, had elements that we wanted to discuss. We do also want to mention that in a few tracks from now, we're going to be moving on, ending the episode with uh, just a little small taste of Saiken Densetsu 3. Uh, but yeah, before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about this track, Prophecy. Will, what, what are some things in this that you noticed that were maybe unique to this? Uh, again, I'm noticing a lot of uh, rhythmic things in kind of interplay. There's the moment when that flute line was doing... And the strings were kind of doing this... There's just kind of... Um, 
I guess, more advanced kind of rhythmic interplay than I'm used to in a video game track like this. I feel like yeah. oftentimes that use of an odd meter or that kind of almost raucous rhythmic juxtaposition happens in like a battle theme or like a you know final boss music. And it's interesting to get those level of experimental choices in a... I guess in in an overall more subtle and um, somber piece like this. All right, let's move on to a really proggy track. This is actually one that I think Carlos, if I remember correctly, brought in on his favorites episode. Very, very cool. Let's take a listen to Meridian Dance. You guys are listening to Meridian Dance, um, and what I love about this piece of music is it feels classic video game. It just really feels like rocking 16-bit goodness, but again, it's Kakuta's take on that, so it's going to be a lot more experimental and a lot more wandering and modern, really, uh, and kind of singular. It doesn't remind me of a lot of other video game music from, from a harmonic standpoint, but from a sense of energy uh, and fun, it, it definitely definitely does um yeah he, he just was not afraid to to pick and choose and and as far as different instruments that and samples that he used different uh influence from all over the world it's just it's a true fusion of sounds um and energies you know you have rockers like this uh you have really subdued tragic pieces of music uh you really kind of have something for everybody in this i think that's very true carl yeah, I love that fusion element. There, there's a couple moments of this. I was reminded, I don't know why, but of some of the um, 16-bit Mega Man titles, like a little bit of Rockman and Forte and Mega Man 7. Maybe it's that bass instrument, but... It could be. I don't know. There's there's some really cool things about this track. And then there was that sort of descending uh, section that, for whatever reason, was giving me, you know, like Graham Norgate, Grant Kirkhope, Perfect Dark sort of vibes. 
Well, I'm um, glad that we got to feature a track like this because one side of the Secret Amana score is this progressive rock sound, and it's something that Kikuda really, really nailed. And I know that was something that was shared. That it's an interest that was shared with a lot of his peers in Japan at the time. You know, prog rock was was something that uh, a lot of composers really enjoyed and tried to inject into their own game soundtracks. And and what I think was effective is that there wasn't one specific choice made for the score. He just, everything, anything he thought would work, he, he tried it, he dabbled. I have a feeling that he composed a lot of music and experimented and, and you know, kind of chose the stuff that, that he thought worked the best. Uh, all right, let's move on. This is a beautiful, more stripped-down arrangement of the main theme, that Angel's Fear theme. It's really beautiful. I think this sounds, you know, technically just just really pleasing for, for 1993 on the SNES. Let's take a listen to I Won't Forget. Well, so we're wrapping up this first soundtrack. We just have one more piece um, after this. Do you have any thoughts about maybe today which track struck you the most? Because I do think we should pick a track of the week, but I have no idea what I would go with, to be honest. Would it be crazy to make this one track of the week? No, it would not. I mean, it's so beautiful. beautiful. It's like, especially considering all the sort of experimental you know soup that we've kind of been digesting yeah. one thing i i will say maybe as a disclaimer is it's this isn't a track that is i is particularly indicative of the overall sound <laughs> of the score um but, but this is like if you're gonna play one piece of music from the game this is the you know send this to the library of congress kind of a thing i mean i would agree with that i mean i think other people might prefer some of the more um experimental stuff but yeah for me th- this main theme is is such a powerful it's just one of the best super nintendo melodies ever composed it's it's incredible and this version um is even more emotional i really enjoy some of the altered chord changes that he does here because you you, you are introduced to the theme starting starting up the game and then hearing this here you're expecting those same changes and um and he doesn't always give it to you also i, re- I really enjoy the instruments he chose what, what do you think that is trying to be will kind of like a Rhodes with a flute and some strings, maybe? Yeah, definitely. That's it's, kind of yeah. what it makes me think of. Well, there you go. That was this week's Track of the Week. All right, last track we're going to discuss from The Secret of Mana before we play a few tracks from Seiken Densetsu 3. Uh, the Wings No Longer Beat.
You guys are listening to The Wings No Longer Beat. Last track we're going to be discussing today from Secret of Mana. Uh, originally, we had the idea of uh, kind of splitting this episode up and, and doing half from Secret of Mana, half from uh, Seiken Densetsu 3, which is the sequel to Secret of Mana. We decided that Secret of Mana was uh, just such a behemoth soundtrack that really was long overdue, so we wanted to give that, you know, its, it's day in the sun. Um, but I will say that the sequel soundtrack is, is very, very good as well. Um, and so I'm glad we're able to touch on that a little bit. Uh, definitely does not have quite the level of love that Secret of Mana does. It was only released in Japan for the Super Famicom, so that's one reason. Um, yeah, this this is really beautiful. Will, what are your thoughts on this? To me, this this is um, very different than a lot of the music I've heard so far today. I love it. It's so sweet. It's such a simple little melody, um, and it has this like youthful innocence to it. Um, it sounds like a little lullaby. For sure, yeah, it's it's really beautiful. It's, that's a nice, uh, pretty way to to end this well, and it, soundtrack. It sort of tells a story, you know. Mm-hmm. It I like just that sort of theme in the end, um, that really pretty thing. But it, it you know it starts with this beautiful kind of, uh, and again some of those ambiguous harmonies in the strings. This is the most sounding like Zelda piece to me in mm. the soundtrack. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I really, I really like it. This is, I feel like we're kind of doing a little bit of, you know, preparing me, uh, for the end of the episode, you know, like we're starting to do a little bit of a chill out kind Mm -hmm. of cool down. Well, let's keep that going because the the first track we're going to talk about from the sequel is is very chill. It's kind of sad though. So I hope, I hope you don't cry from this. This is, um, okay. So Saiken Densetsu 3 came out two years after, for the Super Famicom, the same year as uh, Chrono Trigger. This is 1995. A lot of the same team that worked on Mon- Secret of Mana returned, some of the same designers and producers. Um, and Kakuda co- returned uh, to compose the score. Um, again, kind of breaking the mold and going off in some different directions, not continuing the sound that he established on Secret of Mana. Uh, it's still very Kakuda-esque and very uh, experimental, but it definitely goes into some different places. I really adore this track. This is Innocent Sea. You guys are listening to Innocent Sea, composed again by Hiroki Kakuda. He returned for the sequel, and um, in English, it's uh, the name of this series, you know, Saiken Densetsu, translates to Legend of the Sacred Sword. 
And there's definitely a spiritual, sacred <laughs> emotion that's conveyed with this. This is so mm-hmm. beautiful. The implementation is phenomenal for the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Um, it, it just really sounds expressive. It sounds like this is being um, plucked. Everything about this is is really succeeding. The composition is is gorgeous. I love the melody. I love the sense of wandering and mystery, and I love the sequencing. Hey, so, Carl, I, I sort of thought you were joking when you m- mentioned, like, be careful not to cry, but uh, I might actually tear up. I mean, this is such oh. a beautiful melody, um, and I, I love everything about it. I love the arrangement. I Those love harmonies. you get sort of his, you know, parallel fifth kind mm-hmm. of harmonic voice and yeah that's what i love about the score it's so is sweet and just man really evocative i think you can tell it's kakuda you can tell that it's coming from the same brain but i really liked that he stretched out and again tried to go in some different places and even if you're a huge fan of secret of mana and listen to that soundtrack every day for years you would still be surprised by some of the choices that are made in the sequel and there are moments in this where i feel like he's he's kind of maybe elevating himself um, from what he what he had done in the past, so yeah, really awesome. All right, I wish we could. I wish we could play, you know, a lot more from this game. Maybe we maybe we'll have to revisit it. But let's move on to a track called uh, Powell, and I'm not sure if this is a character theme or a location, but this is a very uh, experimental but groovy piece of music. Let's take a listen. This is delightful. You guys are listening to Powell from Saiken Densetsu 3, which came out for the Super Famicom. It was also um, released for the Switch uh, just in Japan, though, so <laughs> no official English version of this game. This track is really crazy because, um, again, it feels like you're in this weird compound meter, but really you could consider it in four because you almost have like a measure of five, five, and six, which does equal to 16 beats, which would be a two, <laughs> basically, you know two or four uh, measures of, of four. So um, yeah, it's, it's again, it's that really effective use of an over-the-bar rhythm that makes you feel like you're never really truly at rest. Um, and yeah, I, I think this is kind of just Kakuta doing what he does best here. Yeah. Yeah, really cool. I love sort of the like Latin influence. It's a very different sound than we've heard mm-hmm. in, you know, the original Secret of Mana, but you can still identify Kakuda's, you know, unique, some might say quirky compositional voice, but... Oh, I would say I, you that. Know, I've really kind <laughs> of... Um, by the time, you know, I've just been kind of curated this whole playlist today, uh, it's really sort of prepared my palate, and now I, I just <laughs> love the taste of Kakuda music. Yeah, you kind of have to open yourself up for it, and you kind of have to be open for some 
some really bold choices, but once you are, you're treated to very unique expressive music that really has this way of sticking with you. It's kind of addictive listening to Kikuda's music. There's something that kind of gets into your into your bloodstream. And I really like that we were able to end the episode um, on, a, on a different feel because it it definitely going from the wings no longer beat to the innocent sea uh, of the sequel. You definitely can tell just how unique Secret of Mana sound is. You know, I mean, even the same composer in the sequel. Uh, I, I just don't feel like there's any other video game that was able to capture that particular set of emotions that Secret of Mana was able to. So. Yeah, I feel like at this point, I finally understand <laughs> why people <laughs> love it so much, because it's just so special and unique, and uh, there's really there's really nothing else like it. You know, all of it's, whether you want to say flaws or risks or whatever, how much of it paid off, one thing you can say is that it is truly unique and, and, and very artistic. Yeah, completely. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be celebrated uh, again and again, that artistic expression in video games is not something, you know, just f- limited to the last five or 10 years. It's been right. there from the beginning. I mean, I would and, argue even kind of pre-video game music at all. I mean, I think there were artistic things being done in games on the Atari 2600. And I don't right. just mean, you know, utilizing... Uh, I'm not just saying that, you know, programming is art and it, I think a lot of people view video games as a medium that utilizes artistic disciplines to create something that isn't art in and of itself. Hmm. And I think there's interesting things to be said there. And I'm not trying to say that all video games are some artistic masterwork and kind of the pinnacle of, you know, high culture. But they have that potential. Yeah. I mean, I think we definitely need to celebrate those examples that are doing that and are definitely Think, beyond what the bare necessities would be for a simple, you know, quote unquote, child's play thing. Well, I think the artistic potential from an era like this on the Super Nintendo, Square was just, they were such pioneers. I think they allowed their audio uh, team, the, the composers, a lot of room to explore and to try things out. And I think they really did value music as an integral part of the experience. I just get the sense that they they kind of let these composers stretch out more than maybe some other companies did. And they weren't afraid of you know, having them try out, just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And, um, and you can just kind of tell that listening to these, these classic square soundtracks is they're just so bold and unique and they go in directions that, that really, uh, you know, had never been gone in before. So, so that, that was a really fun episode. We, uh, we want to mention, I don't think we actually mentioned it before, but we should mention it now. This, uh, topic was actually suggested via Patreon. So this is a Patreon suggested topic from our patron and supporter Drew. So thanks so much, Drew, for this, um, idea. Again, originally we, we had talked back and forth about doing a split episode. Uh, between these two scores, but right. um, we decided that uh, focusing more heavily on Secret of Mana was more fitting. So, so thanks, Drew, for your support. Thanks to all of our patrons for their support. If anyone is interested in supporting us, uh, it's a great way to do it on Patreon. And one of the things that we offer is you get to suggest an episode topic that we have to commit to doing. Um, and, and this has been so fun because we've had a lot of these topics that, for whatever reason, we didn't think of doing ourselves, and we kind of needed those patrons to kind of you know poke us on the arm and say, "Oh, you got to do this." And this is an example where I. I really don't know why we we had to why we waited so long to do this but hey in any case i'm glad we did it today uh i definitely have a stronger appreciation of this soundtrack and of this composer so here, here. Yeah, i definitely look forward to, to hearing more from him we're gonna play you guys out with hope isolation prey 
And uh, this is also from uh, the sequel. This is Saiken Densetsu 3. And if anyone is interested in nerding out about video games or music, you can find us on, on Discord. If anyone wants a new invite code for that, let us know. That's, a, that's just a great community of really um, nice and talented people. Uh, we also are on Twitter. You can follow us at Marcado Bros. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and you can find our podcast on iTunes. Thanks to all the people leaving reviews on there. I think that just about does it. Anything you got, Will? I think that's all for me as well i'm good to go man that's all folks all right guys uh this has been a blast thanks so much for sticking with us my name is carl brugerman and i'm his brother will brugerman have a great week everybody peace out